0: This week's John Tap Racing Podcast is brought to you by Inglis, number one in its field. The 2017-18 racing season is all over, and Brenton Abdullah recorded dominant wins in the state and metro jockeys premierships. But one New South Wales jockey who chipped away consistently right through the season is Jay Ford. He finished 12th on the Metro list with 33 wins and in the same spot on the New South Wales ladder with 83 wins. He seemed to gather momentum late in the season and back in June he rode 10 winners in the space of one week. Jay was only 20 years old when he began a fairy tale association with Takeover Target, which took him all over the world and brought him seven Group 1 victories. Now, while he's waiting for another Takeover Target to come along, Jay knows he's got to make the most of every opportunity, and that's exactly what he did in the old season just concluded. Let's have a yarn with Jay Ford. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, Jay.
1: Uh, my pleasure, John.
0: Now, looking at highlights for the season, there were quite a few. Alberman was a nice horse you became associated with for Gerald Ryan.
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, he uh, strung uh, three wins in a row this preparation in town and um, probably delivered what he'd always promised. He'd shown um, a lot of ability in his uh, early days um, racing and, and Raced very well at, at competitively at stakes level, so it was good to see him come back this preparation, and um, put the three Saturday Metro wins together like he did, and um, delivered on on what he's promised to do um, early on in his career.
0: Does he feel like the sort of horse who'll go on with it, Jay?
1: Oh, look, I think now now um, Gerald's purely training him as a sprinter. I think um, you know he's certainly going to be able to achieve some sort of black type. Um, Like I said, early in his career, he was placed at stakes level and and now he's uh, really got his um, eye in and and, and doing well. I can't see why he couldn't uh, graduate and win um, at stakes level at some stage uh, now that they're training him as a pure sprinter.
0: We've had a glut of veteran horses winning races lately all over Australia. Everybody admires old Destiny's Kiss who turned 10 during the week. He's won eighteen races. He's won one point four million, and you contributed to that amount uh, when you won the McKell Cup on the old horse, and you won a City Tattersall's Cup early in the season. He's an old marvel.
1: Yeah, he's a he's a marvelous horse, and um, you know you don't see a lot of horses uh, race with the longevity and, and race so consistently as a horse like Destiny. Um, but he's uh, he's just a an iron horse and he races so consistently and he's been a terrific money spinner for, for Joe and Nick. And, um, you know, he, he race, he loves the 2,400 meters and, um, you know, he's put together a a marvelous record and he was uh, good enough to win a couple of listed races during, um, last season.
0: Sprite gave you a nice win during the season in the group three star kingdom stakes back in March.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, very good to, to get on the back of him and um, won very well. Uh, she's a terrific mare when right and, um, you know, she was first up that day. She sat back and unleashed a, a wonderful turn of foot that we know she can. She has been a little bit inconsistent um, of late through her career, but um, she was cherry ripe that day and, and uh, she showed uh, what she could do.
0: Another smart one you got yourself on, Jay, during the Scone Carnival was 2XS, trained by Tracy Bartley. Uh, 2XS won a listed race during that carnival. I think he turned uh, the horse straight into the paddock after that. So 2XS is one to look forward to.
1: Yeah, uh, I really like this horse. Um, I've only sat on him twice and he won first up at Scone very dominantly. It was a, a very strong win. Um, his first foray into the stakes level um, and then he, he misfired second up and uh, Tracy wasn't happy with the way he pulled up so we spelled him so I think he definitely is one for the future to look for um, I think he's got plenty of upside and judging by the way he won that listed race at Scone um, he's going to be very competitive in in group races in the future
0: you're the oldest of three children born to Ron and Allison, and you were reared in the inner suburb of Ashbury. Now, Jay, there were many horses trained on the Canterbury course in the old days. Those trainers were moved to Rose Hill probably 30 years ago. But had they still been around when you were looking for an apprenticeship, you most certainly would have finished up at Canterbury. You were just down the road at Ashbury.
1: Yeah, that's spot on. If um, if Canterbury was still a, a training centre, I'm pretty sure that that's where I would have ended up being in Ashbury, which is just behind Canterbury Racecourse there. And um, there was a, a couple of stables um, in my street that I lived in. Obviously, not used anymore because Canterbury had closed down. But mm. um, so I was always always close to a racecourse or stables growing up.
0: So you started with Rod Craig at Warwick Farm. Rod was the the trainer to teach you all the fundamentals.
1: Yeah, that's where I kicked off. Um, You know, he got me up and going, uh, helped me uh, obviously learn my craft to track work and then progress to to trials to get my ticket um, to become a jockey and um, I spent probably a good 18 months there at Rod's and um, taught me a lot and obviously at that time, When I was there, it was sort of the back end of Inner Gazer's career, but it was nice nice to uh, be in a stable that had um, such a good horse.
0: Well, a position became available with Keith Dryden at Canberra and you decided to make the move to the National Capital. This is your first time ever away from home.
1: Yeah, obviously um, when I got my ticket at Rods and... Uh, wanting to, to gather more experience and obviously I was just starting off I'd only had oh, probably maybe half a dozen rides um, obviously it's just natural to for an apprentice to to shift out to a country area to, to further gain more experience and um, get a few wins on the board and the opportunity came up to come, go down to Keith's at Canberra and um, it was a decision that uh, worked out very well for me. Um, Keith was a Keith is a great man and uh, I spent two years down there and he taught me a lot and uh, I quite, uh, quite enjoyed my time down um, in Canberra.
0: Except for the winter mornings riding track work. Uh, I rem- Keith Dryden told me once, Jay, that he always knew how cold it was by the amount of ice on Kevin Sweeney's eyebrows.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was... Uh, Pretty cold. Uh, I did two, two winter seasons down in Canberra and um, yeah, it certainly uh, was a shock to the system uh, riding track work in minus five, minus six degrees and uh, uh, something that I am f- fortunately don't have to really uh, bear these days.
0: Your first winner was trained by a man who would become a very significant figure in your life later on, Joe Janiak. Uh, It was a horse called the Chomboli. The race was a 900-metre maiden at Queenbeyan on the 31st of March 2001.
1: Yeah, um, obviously not knowing what would um, happen a few years later, but, yeah, my first winner was for Joe, and through that um, was the start of an association that went on for many years. And uh, obviously when Joe had runners, uh you know he only sort of had three or four in work at any one time Uh, after i'd rode that winner for him um you know we'd always combine whenever he had runners i would ride for him but not to know that um what would progress and eventuate a few years later down the track
0: you had to wait a while for your first metropolitan winner and that was a horse called freestyler trained by amanda langler and he won a restricted race at Warwick Farm. That first Metro win is very special to every jockey.
1: Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, obviously, you have um, various milestones in your career, and when you you start out, obviously, to, to get a win on the board and then you progress, and, and obviously, to get that first city winner is, is always special, and um, Freestyler was a horse that I'd ridden um, consistently around Canberra and the Queen Queanbeyan region and won a few times on and I was lucky enough that um, Amanda and the owners gave me the ride when he went to town I, I hadn't had many rides in town only a, a couple so to obviously partner a horse that, that, that I knew um, in town and to win on was um, a special day.
0: Jay I'll get you to stand by there we're going to pause briefly on this podcast interview back in a moment. For over 150 years, Inglis has led the way in the field of thoroughbred auctions. In 2018, Inglis again sold the most yearlings at the highest average. Last season, Inglis was number one for Group 1 wins and the only auction house to sell a Group 1 winning two-year-old. They sold four in fact. I'm proud to align myself with Inglis number one in its field. My guest is popular jockey Jay Ford, who uh, completed a very successful season, 2017-2018, and we're talking about his early days as a jockey uh, here in Sydney and country areas. Well, Jay, you spent the last two years of your apprenticeship with Kim Waugh. Kim was then at Rose Hill, and they were happy days for you.
1: Yeah, no, I enjoyed my time with Kim, and... um Even uh, still to this day, I ride for it consistently and um, learn a lot from Kim. And obviously when the time uh, to move from Canberra back to Sydney arose, I'd sort of outridden my claim in the country area and was looking to to come back to Sydney. The opportunity came up to come to to Kim's. And um, yeah, I had a fantastic back end of an apprenticeship with Kim. She taught me a lot and, um, you know, we still, you know, remain good friends out of that. And, um, you know, uh, she still uh, um, is a big influence on my career. The first
0: genuine stakes horse you rode, you'd have to say, was Spinning Con. Trained by Kim, he was a gelding by Spinning World. You won four races on him altogether, including a listed race, Jay, the Tattersalls Club Cup. He's a horse who liked to bowl along in front or near the lead, didn't he?
1: Yeah, he, he was a big boy and um, he'd get out over a distance, sort of a mile to 2,000 and, uh, you know, he'd bowl along out in front or close to the speed, like you said, and um, I had a good association with him and he was a good he was a good apprentice's horse um, in the fact that, you know, he, he won a few races in town and he, he sort of helped get the ball rolling for me and, and obviously when he stepped up to uh, Listed Company, um, Kim and the owners were were good enough to leave me on him and, and obviously, yeah, it was my first stakes winner so that was always something very special and to do it for Kim who was such a big supporter of me um, made even that more little bit special.
0: Kim had her Group 1 horse in the stable at the time, Martum. Now Darren Biedman rode him when he won the Sydney Cup but you did ride him a few times, Jay, and one very good run I can recall with you on board was in a Doomben Cup He wasn't placed, but he was right on the heels of the place getters.
1: Yeah, I I had a few rides on him um, here and there, and uh, he was always uh, such a gentleman horse and always had a lot of issues. So um, I think that was really uh, a testament to Kim's training um, to get him to perform as well as he did for as long as he did. And um, I'm not sure if I – I think I might have won on him once, um, but – yeah, no, he was a, a great horse and he, he got his Group 1 in the, the Sydney Cup.
0: One day in April 2004, your life changed dramatically. Your manager got a phone call from Joe Janiak wanting you to ride a horse in a maiden at Queenbean. Now, there was a Gosford meeting on the same day, Jay, and you were intent on riding at Gosford, but fate stepped in.
1: Yeah, um, I was penciled in um, to ride at Gosford that day. Um, I already had a sort of couple of rides lined up and uh, Joe called uh, my manager Brian about this horse he had and obviously having the association with Joe over a few years, he, he thought it was pretty smart and asked if I would come down and ride him and so I switched venues and um, decided to... Take the trip down the Queen Beane, and certainly, uh, uh, probably the smartest thing I've ever done.
0: Now, did Takeover Target feel like a Royal Ascot horse that day?
1: Oh, certainly not. Um, look, he he won very well. I think he won by about seven lengths, or, or something like that. But at the end of the day, it was was only a maiden at Queen BN. Um He certainly won like a, a very nice horse, and. Um, you know, I thought I'd ridden a, a pretty special horse, but, you know, um, not that I would know that down the track uh, he would end up at uh, Royal Ascot, that's for sure.
0: Well, he won his next three, which were restricted races by big margins. Then he stepped up to the pace set of stakes at Gosford. And coincidentally, that race is now known as the Takeover Target stakes. Uh, then he won the Ramorny Handicap at Grafton, which has always been a good quality sprint. So how was he impressing you at this stage, Jay? Were you thinking this is just a better than useful sprinter or was he starting to feel like he had gears?
1: No, certainly by that stage. Obviously when um, you know he'd won, his, he went through the grades very quickly and was still winning very dominantly. Um, but by the time he'd sort of got to that listed race at Gosford and then the Ramorny I knew that um he was a pretty good horse I'd been fortunate enough to have ridden um a few stakes winners and group winners by that stage and and I knew that this this bloke was something else um so obviously you know he was going through the grades that quickly but like I said it's a different to, to to knowing that you're riding a a good horse that you know, he turned out to be um, a champion racehorse.
0: It was three and a half months before he raced again and he went straight into the Group 1 Salinger Stakes at Flemington during the Spring Carnival. It was the first time down the straight for Takeover Target and the first time down the straight course for Jay Ford.
1: Yeah, certainly. Obviously, a little bit daunting. Um, Obviously, riding down in Melbourne during the... The carnival and and obviously being in a straight race itself, I'd never ridden in a straight race myself. Um, I know on the the Tuesday before he raced on the Saturday, we give him a jump out up the straight, and um, he took like a took took to it like a duck like to water. Um, mm. That they, they said they'd never seen a horse go as quick or as straight up the straight before. Um, everyone that watched him, so we took a lot of confidence out of that, but still, um, you know, it was. Uh, a new environment for everyone involved. Um, it was a little bit daunting, but um, you know, he, a good thing we had a, a, a quality horse on our hands.
0: You know, <clears throat> you've got to give Joe Janiak full credit, Jay. He w- was never tempted to go to the well too often. Uh, He was very quick to put the horse away if there was the slightest little problem. In fact, after that Salinger win, he had a long, long spell and he wasn't seen for six months. And he didn't win again when he came back in six starts, but he did run some good races in very good company. Uh, So he hadn't gone off the boil. It was just that he'd stepped up into much better class.
1: Yeah, true. Um, Obviously, uh, you know, I don't believe that if the horse was with any other trainer that this horse would have reached the heights that he did, um, Joe understood takeover and takeover understood Joe. And I think that one-on-one environment, um, brought the best out in takeover and, uh, you know, he'd done a marvelous job managing him over, you know, the longevity of his career. And, um, yeah, he, in those starts, he always raced consistently. Um, he, he did have a few little niggling issues off and on, but that, that certainly plagued his whole career, and, and that's how Joe come to acquire the horse in the first place. But um, you know, certainly through his career, I think um, Joe did a marvellous job with him, and um, you know, it's a real testament to Joe um, being able to get takeover to reach the heights that he did throughout his career.
0: At the end of 2005, he won a Group 3 and then a listed race at Doombin. Then he had a little freshen and then came three cracker runs on the trot. He won the Lightning, he ran third in the Oakley Plate and then he won the Newmarket, his second win down that straight six.
1: Yeah, no, he he really started to get his straps then. Obviously, um, through those few starts where he he, he didn't win, Joe decided to just drop him in grade a little bit, and that's when he won those two um, listed and group three races in Queensland just to get his confidence back on track, which he did. Mm. And then, obviously, um, that set him up for a good run down in Melbourne. Um, he won the Lightning first up very well. Uh, second up, he went to Caulfield for the Oakley Plate and struck a very wet track, which he wasn't really accustomed to, but he ran a brave third. Yeah. And then, obviously, Switching back for the new market um, at that time, I think he, he uh, set a new record for the amount of weight he carried or something that day. and mm-hmm. um, he beat a crack of field and um, you know really put himself in the frame for a Royal Ascot trip and obviously stamped himself as probably the, the number one sprinter in Australia having won um, the three Group one straight races down the Flemington Strait.
0: Well, what a thrill for young Jay Ford and for Joe Janiak on the 20th of June 2006 when the Australian horse wins the Group 2 Stand Stakes at Royal Ascot. Now, how were the nerves on the day, Jay? This was a pretty big uh, essay for a youngster from Australia.
1: Uh, not too bad. Um, obviously, you know, it was uh, amazing to to be given the opportunity to, to partner a, a horse like Takeover um, at such a prestigious meeting like Royal Ascot. Um, it was a new environment for all of us and an exciting trip and the, the start of an international campaign that went on for, for three or four years. So, But also daunting a little bit at the same time. But, um, you know, I, I was confident in uh, Takeover and obviously – Having ridden him for so long, um, we certainly had that bond together. So um, it was a, it, it was an amazing journey. And um, fortunately enough, we were able to win um, on that day at, at Royal Ascot and um, something that I'll uh, be able to cherish uh, for, forever. It must have crossed
0: your mind a million times that very few Australian jockeys have won a race at Royal Ascot. It's something to dine out on.
1: Yeah, um, I suppose I, at the time, uh, I didn't didn't really, I, I don't really didn't really think much of it, uh, and that is probably through the, the whole of um, Takeovers career. But uh, I think as as I've got older, now looking back on it, I probably do appreciate it a lot more now than what I did back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I probably didn't realised I was probably too young to realise, like I knew I was riding a great horse, but it's probably taken, you know, another 10, 10 odd years to actually look back mm-hmm. and, and realise that what that horse achieved and I was, I was able to be a part of that.
0: Mm-hmm. After the King's Stand win, he ran third in the Golden Jubilee. Then you went to Newmarket for the July Cup. He ran seventh, beaten two lengths. Any excuses or problems that day?
1: No, not really. Um, he probably, uh, to be fair, he, he never really liked the Newmarket track. Um, it was very undulated, um, as it's documented, and very hilly, and he just never seemed to really adjust to, to that style of, of race course. Um, his run backing up four days later after his win was a very creditable third. Um, I'm pretty sure, you know, every time he raced, at Ascot over the, the following years. He always ran so well. I think out of six times he ran, he never finished further back than fourth. Mm. Um, so he was so he was so consistent, but that was just um, takeover. He, he had had a heart of gold and that will to win.
0: Well, he was a marvellous horse to travel. You could go anywhere in the world with him and he'd, he'd get over the trip quickly and he'd go out there and uh, deliver his optimum performance. Now, Next thing you know, you're in Japan for two runs. He ran second in a Group 2 first up, the Centaur Stakes, and then came the Group 1 Sprinters Stakes. Now, Jay, every horse has its supreme moment, and you think this was Takeover Target's finest moment. Just to give people an idea of how strong the race was, Silent Witness ran fourth. He was a world champion sprinter.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. In, in my mind, um, this stands out as, as his most significant win. Um, the class of horse that was in this race was top-notch and, you know, they were, they'd come from four and five various different countries and there was probably, you know, there was eight or ten individual Group 1 winners in the race. And Like you said, obviously, Silent Witness was, was in the race who was a champion racehorse in his own right um, in Hong Kong. And for him to, to win as dominantly as he did, I don't think there was a horse anywhere in the world that could have beat him that day. And um, certainly for me, um, that was the, the hot, hot, one of many highlights, but the, the standout victory for him in his career.
0: Well, <clears throat> Silent Witness, as I said, ran fourth. He won 17 races straight. In fact, I think his first 17 on the trot and he was ranked world top sprinter for three consecutive years. Now, take over Target went back to Australia and uh, in May 2007, he turned up in Brisbane. He won the Doomban 10,000, beating Gold Edition and Matani and that win... Propelled him back to England. Two terrific runs. Fourth in the King's Stand. Second in the Golden Jubilee. Any excuses in either of those two runs?
1: No, no. He he, um, he ran as well as he could, as he always did. Um, you know, he's just uh, beaten on the day by a couple of better horses. And um, but, like I said, over his career, he's such a consistent animal who who always gave 110%, um, and he, he didn't have, you know, the, the aura of uh, invincibility like he could be beaten, um, but he'd always ran so well. He was never far from the winner, and, um, you know, like I said, at Royal Ascot, he, he always just went so consistently. He really enjoyed straight racing, mm. um, and that always brought the best out in him.
0: He wasn't seen again until the end of 2007. He won a couple of races at Randwick and then something happened in the Villiers Stakes. Just remind me of the circumstances of that Villiers.
1: Um, It's probably something that I don't really look back on, but uh, obviously through EI that year, um, the Villiers was reduced to 1,400. Yep. Um, So – he ran in a couple of races leading up into that, and I think he won both of them actually. And then, obviously, because the Villiers was only fourteen, um, we ran him. Joe decided to run him in that, and he uh, he won the race, but um, unfortunately, he he lost it on protest, which um, you know uh, mm-hmm. I think is a little bit unjust. But you know, it is what it is, and it's history now. But. Um, Little bit hard to little bit hard to take that day.
0: Horse called Honor in War uh, won that race. I think he he travelled very wide all the way, so he did a good job too.
1: Yeah, obviously, um, you know, it was a Chris Waller trained Honor in War, and the margin was uh, only very small, uh, and we we gave him, I think we gave him about seven kilos weight in difference, mm. um, but the, that was like takeover. Um, he he. The margin wasn't always there, but he knew where to get his head down on the line, but yeah. um, obviously through a little bit of uh, interference, uh, which I didn't think was much, it was enough for the stewards to uh, uphold the decision, and although first past the post, he um, was relegated to second.
0: Well, it wasn't long before you found yourself in Singapore in a race called the Chris Flyer International, and again – it was the real takeover target. He was on song that day.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, he, he was his horse who, he was amazing to travel. He almost did better away from home than, than mm. what he did at home. He certainly enjoyed um, his uh, overseas travel. But, um, yeah, no, he was certainly on song that day. Um, he adjusted in the Singapore very well, as he always did whenever he travelled. And, um he bounced straight to the front, travelled strongly, gave a good kick halfway up the straight and, um, you know, was able to add another Group 1 to his resume.
0: Well, that took him back to England, another second in the King stand, which was by then a Group 1, and fourth in the Golden Jubilee. And I imagine, Jay, by this time, his third trip, the Poms had taken him into their hearts.
1: Yeah, well, he'd become such a regular um, every year with Ascot and um, he got a, bit of a following over there obviously over here he was already a a cult figure he he was a real people's horse and everyone followed him but um he'd become nearly an, an honorary englishman the way he was going turning up every year and yet again mm-hmm. although um he didn't win he ran um two great races his second was behind a horse called Equ- equiano um who was a uh, turned out to be a multiple group one winner mm-hmm. um and Like I said, those two performances, although beaten, were still very creditable.
0: Well, we said he's a widely travelled horse. He came back from England. Next thing, he's in Western Australia at the end of 2008. He won a couple of races there, a Group 3 and a Group 2. He was spelled back in the autumn of 2009 for the TJ Smith. And Jay... This was one of those lonely moments uh, for a jockey who'd been associated with such a great horse. You suddenly found out uh, that you would not be his jockey in that TJ Smith Stakes.
1: Yeah, um, certainly at the time uh, I was gutted by the decision, Um, but obviously at the end of the day it was in the best interest of the horse and and obviously I, I respected that. Um, obviously he'd come back off a few long layoffs and he was starting to get on a little bit in years and trying to do the right thing by the horse. Obviously, I'm a natural uh, lightweight jockey and um, obviously in those weight for age races, he would be carrying a lot of dead weight. So uh, Joe thought best to use someone that, that, that wouldn't be carrying so much dead weight. So obviously I was, you know, disappointed, naturally, um, to have to give up the ride on a horse that I'd ridden, you know, throughout his whole career, um, but obviously, I had to respect that decision. Joe said I would be, um, you know, straight back on him next start, and mm. obviously, it was disappointing to, to, to watch him win and, and not be on him. I was still, you know, glad that the horse won, um, and obviously, True to Joe's word, I was back on him next start.
0: Nashra Willer, by the way, rode him in that T.J. Smith Stakes, but you were back on uh, as Joe promised you would be to win the Goodwood Handicap in Adelaide. Fifteen days later, off he goes again to the International Sprint in Singapore. Now, what happened in that race?
1: Um, well, the Goodwood turned out to be his last victory, and um, obviously, then from then. joe we went overseas again went to singapore onwards to england as we'd done the previous year mm. and um no look he he didn't perform in singapore and um you know for what for whatever reason but he just didn't fire a shot and sort of that was um you know i think the start of the decline uh, in him and um unfortunately uh you know, it was um, his his next start that um, everything sort of fell apart.
0: Well, he got back to England. He didn't run in the Golden Jubilee. Um, I think he had a temperature there and was scratched.
1: Yes, yeah, temperature.
0: So his last race start, Jay, was on the 10th of July, 09, the July Cup at Newmarket, a track that you said he hadn't liked and hadn't savoured the previous time he'd been there. He was beaten four point six lengths into seventh place, and sadly, disaster struck during that race.
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, obviously, that was going to be his last ever race start, and um, he, he travelled well throughout the run. But it obviously, when um, I felt for him, he didn't find like he usually did, and and sort of over the concluding stages, I felt him go amiss and. Uh, when we pulled up, the, the damage had been done and um, I remember spending pretty much all afternoon at the vet hospital in Newmarket because um, they didn't know whether they'd be able to save him or not. And, mm-hmm. um, fortunately, they were able to save him and, and, and perform surgery and uh, put some screws and that in his leg and um, that, that was uh, the, end, the end of his racing career.
0: Five screws, in fact, were inserted into a very badly cracked cannon bone and Joe was able to get him home eventually and the old horse lasted until 2015 when he was very badly injured in a paddock accident and had to be put down.
1: Yeah, certainly, um, you know, it was good to, to know that, you know, Joe got him back here and he spent probably the best part of five years living in a paddock eating grass and sort of enjoying his retirement. Um, unfortunately, I remember Joe ringing me um, on the morning of, of his accident mm. telling me that um, he'd he'd been put down um, and it was from that leg, uh, just a pure, simple, he was lying down on the ground and, and went to get up um, in the morning, and that leg that had all the screws in it gave way, and, and yeah. it broke again. And um, unfortunately, they they had to put him down. There was nothing they could do for him.
0: Take over target wasn't your only Group One winner, Jay. You rode a horse called Hotel Grand, for Anthony Cummings. He won two Group Ones: a Spring Champion Stakes and a Randwick Guineas.
1: Yeah, he was a he was a super horse, and. Although he won two Group 1s, we we never actually got to see the best of him. Um, He uh, was a very aggressive horse. Um, He would uh, go very hard in his races, but even though he went very hard in his races, he could still find that next gear when you asked him for it. I was fortunate enough to ride him. The majority of his career, his short career, he only had about eight eight or so starts um, until, unfortunately, he... uh, he, he uh, broke down, done a sesamoid. Um, but, I you know, I won two Group 1s on him. I rode him in a Cox Plate. Uh, he looked like a, a, a serious horse who I thought could have gone on and won probably something like a Caulfield Cup or, or, or a race oh, yeah. in that nature. Mm. Um, but, unfortunately, he broke down in the Rose Hill Guineas after he'd won the Randwick Guineas. And, um, you know, he's unfortunately never raced again but went on to stud and, Uh, For a few years, he uh, performed his stud duties up in Queensland.
0: The Spring Champion Stakes has been a good race for you. You won it a second time on Monaco Consul.
1: Yeah, um, another horse who, this one a little bit different. I sort of was on, I was actually booked for another horse earlier in the week. I was on a a Hawks-trained horse. Um, Name escapes me at the moment. But um, anyway, it, it wasn't Decided they weren't going to run with it. And, um, you know, I picked up this ride for Mike Maroney, um the next day. Uh, all he'd done is won a, a maiden in New Zealand. And obviously, come race day, he started a uh, very long odds. He was about 60 to 1 or so. And he got back and uh, it was a very heavy track that day and just loved the ground and just lengthened like as if he was skipping across the top of the ground, yeah. um, come from back in the field and, and just swamped them. You know, he won very impressively and that form was franked and he went on to win the VRC derby.
0: Yeah, he won like a $2.40 pop the day he won at Radwick.
1: Yeah, certainly. You know, if you, weren't, if you didn't know what price he was in the run, mm. um, just by watching him, you know, you wouldn't believe that he was a 60-to-1 shot in the race.
0: You were riding a horse with enormous potential a few years ago for Kerry Parker, a horse called Brilliant Light. He won seven from 28. You won four straight on him. Uh, He won the Ajax Stakes, a group two. He won the Doncaster Prelude. He ran third in the Doncaster, uh, but he always had problem feet and they just got worse and worse and eventually brought about his demise. But uh, he's a horse that had a group one written all over him at the time, Jay?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, he he burst on the scene. I remember riding this fella at his first ever start at Hawkesbury one day and he didn't um, run anywhere. I think he ran midfield or something. And mm. I remember saying to Kerry, this, this is a real good horse, this. And um, so I, I sort of just stuck with him and, he took actually for about four or five starts before he actually won his maiden. And, mm. and I was sort of second guessing myself, and I was like, well, I don't know what's going on here. But anyway, once he, he won one, he, he just started stringing um, races together and uh, building such a imposing record. And he, he went through the grades really well. And, um, you know, yeah, I was lucky enough to win an Ajax on him. and. And then he won a, a Doncaster Prelude, which mm. got him into the Doncaster itself. And um, he he ran a courageous race. He ran a he ran a very good third behind Rangi mm. Um And then he spelled after that, and that was sort of the start of his feet troubles. And um, Kerry battled on with him for another twelve to eighteen months, but we never really seen the best of him again. And um, you know. He, one thing led to another and they um, they made the, the decision to retire him. But um, once again, another horse, you see many of them uh, that they just, you, you think they're going to really, you know, go to that top level. But through one thing or another injury or not, you, you never get to see no. um, the best of them.
0: Well, you're busy on the track and just as busy off the track because you and Verity have a rising three-year-old to look after by the name of Michaela, and I imagine she'd take a bit of looking after.
1: Yeah, no, it's um, no, yeah, it's uh, it's it's great to 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 have a family and um, really enjoy being a dad. Um, she keeps us on our toes, you know. She's uh. She's she's a very good kid. Um, obviously, I'm going to say that I'm a bit biased, but um, I really enjoy it. And the the best thing to come home after each day and and see the smile on her face, you know, it takes takes any troubles she got away. And yeah, um, I love being a kid myself, so I get to hang out with one every day. So <laughs> um, life's pretty good.
0: Well, the thing that's going to help Jay Ford enormously. Uh, for the rest of his riding days is the fact that you can ride comfortably at 53, even lighter given a bit of notice. Uh, That's going to uh, help you along the way, Jay, because many jockeys struggle with their weight in this era.
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, Obviously, I've always been fortunate enough to be naturally light throughout my whole career and, um, you know, in, in a world where people are getting bigger and bigger, I find myself in a, a little niche of, of few riders that can ride consistently lightweight. So obviously, through that presents more opportunities, and through more opportunities, um, you know we're making the most of them. So um, very fortunate in that re- in that respect. As regards to some other jockeys who do it so tough to to ride, um, you know not just lightweights, but just ride make the weight to start with.
0: Jay, keep up the good work. I hope the season you had just gone uh, is repeated in 1819. I'm sure it will be. And I really appreciate your time on the podcast today.
1: No, right, thank you very much for having me,
0: John. For over 150 years, Inglis has led the way in the field of thoroughbred auctions. In 2018, Inglis again sold the most yearlings at the highest average. Last season, Inglis was number one for group one wins and the only auction house to sell a group one winning two-year-old. They sold four in fact. I'm proud to align myself with Inglis, number one in its field.